You know, as I get older, uh, do any of you feel that tension as you get older where you used to say family is important, but as you get older, you begin to realize how much time slips away, how much you, you wish you would have made that trip, you wish you would have had that conversation. You know, family's interesting. This, this week, I, uh, I went back up to Michigan because I, I had some, some car things. I got a car guy in Michigan. His name's Floyd. And actually, I'm going to tell you about Floyd next week. Um, but it's a great mechanic name, I think. If, if, if you decide, like, if you want to have a mechanic, if you're going to have kids someday and you want to have a mechanic, I think Floyd is a great name for a mechanic. But I went back up, and one of the, one of the reasons I went up, too, was I got to see my grandpa. He's, he's entering kind of that later part of life. Um, and it's interesting, because I don't know if you have any, anyone like this in your life, but um, not a warm, fuzzy grandpa. Like, I see the way that my dad interacts with my boys, and I'm like, yes. Gets down on the ground, you know, makes fart noises, buys him cookies, things like that. Um, this, this grandpa of mine was the type who was very much a man of a certain age. He had a TV room. He had a room where it was like five by seven, and there was just like a recliner, like a single recliner, so it's sort of known like, yep, this is just my room, and a TV. And he was not a warm, fuzzy, um, kind person. Um, and, and in many ways, he... Uh, as I've gotten older, I've had so much more grace and understanding because as we've been talking about values, there's so much of him that his childhood and some of the trauma he experienced with an abusive alcoholic father who eventually left his family, there's a lot that he just didn't know how to reflect and impart because he didn't see that example. And there were just some things missing and, and that bled over into my own dad's journey. And he, he's openly talked about having to figure out things, how he grew up with a dad who rarely said things like, I love you or I'm proud of you, not because he didn't mean them, he just didn't have the capacity or know how. And my dad has made those things where he has made those huge strides, which has then you know, made it more possible for my brothers and I. But it made me think as I got to see him, it made me think about how um, all of us grow up in different families where there are different sets of said and unsaid rules and expectations, there are things that we talk about and there are things that we don't talk about. You know, one of the things I've, I've, I've processed over time is the fact that I, I think I grew up a little bit in a family where we did not talk about our feelings often. Feelings were something that arose, <laughs> sometimes went, Phew, and then we said sorry and we just kind of paved over it. Anyone else grow up in a family like that? And there were things that, we, that you, you pick up as a kid, right? That there are things, there are conversations you don't ask about this family member or you don't talk about these certain things. How many of you grew up in a, in a house where maybe the rule was, hey, you don't talk about politics, religion, sex, or money? Because they're all personal things. They're all things we don't want to tread into. And yet, I don't know if you guys have realized this, at least for me, I've realized that oftentimes the things that we are most told not to talk about are the things we most need to talk about. Because oftentimes when we bury certain conversations, right, it's sort of like taking a bomb or toxic waste, right, and just kind of digging a hole, putting it there, and hoping that it will never come to light, right? Now, in the same way, this morning I want to we're going to tread into a topic that I think sometimes can feel even more personal than sex, which it shouldn't, which is money and generosity. You can laugh if you want. That's supposed to be a little bit funny, right? 
we live in a culture where in some ways we're, we're more okay with talking about our sex life than our bank account. And I think there's, there's lots of reasons why. Uh, but I think there's become this taboo in church, right? Where because we see televangelists on, church, uh, on TV who, you know, say that they need a, a jumbo jet to make sure they can go and do their thing, right? Or we, we see inconsistencies that money has become a topic that oftentimes in church feels like, oh great, here comes another preacher who's going to talk about how they need more money for this, that, and the other, which is really just going to be for them and, 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 and their lifestyle and all that sort of stuff. And can I just acknowledge, some of that's real true. There's some stuff where there's some, some pastors that I know you're not supposed to, I know you're supposed to turn the other cheek, but I'll be honest, I kind of want to throw hands sometimes for a lot of reasons. But I think one of the things that has been Satan's great tactic is oftentimes taking things where it's like, if, if we can get people to not talk about it, then they don't deal with it, and then I get to deal with things. And can I say up front, I, I, I'm going to ask us, if we can, if, if we metaphorically have some, some weapons, we got some fists, we got some guns, whatever it is, if we can metaphorically maybe lay them down for a minute and hear me out, I come in peace. Because truthfully, as I've gotten older and as I've done more study of Jesus in his teaching and just his way, I have realized that Satan has done an incredible job of making these sort of conversations incredibly taboo, kind of un, un, untalked about. And, and one of the reasons why isn't so that way churches you know, don't have money or things like that, but in a lot of ways it's because he knows at his core he can get people in their soul to be in a bad place. Now, there's a lot of reasons why we don't want to talk about these sort of things. Uh, here, here, here are four of the reasons why I have found uh, that these conversations, these, these ideas of talking about generosity are, are really, really difficult. Some of it is that we, we have a mentality of what's in it for me. Many of us, if we're honest, about every bit of our life is centered around this. Um, this is the one reason why I don't have kids because of these reasons, but one thing that is really good about um, maturity and children and having kids, I think, is because this, like, smacks you in the face. There's a lot of parenting, right, that there's not a lot in, in it for us, you know? When you're hanging out with the puking kid at 3 a.m., there's not a lot in it for you. Maybe you're hoping that they'll remember it when they put you in a nursing home and they pick a good one, hopefully, right? Amen. But there's a lot where we have these mentalities of, what's in it for me? And sometimes the what's in it for me paralyzes us from actually living a life of generosity. For some of us, it's we see ourselves as owners rather than stewards. We see ourselves as like, well, I earned this. This is mine. Honestly, some of us, uh, if we're really honest, we kind of treat our relationship with Jesus and then our relationship with Jesus and our uh, time, talents, and treasure kind of like we, we almost want a prenup where we're like, hey, listen, um, this is the small amount I will consider, but I, I know we're getting serious, but I'd really like to keep separate bank accounts. And some of us do that because in our mind, we have this idea that everything that we have is ours, even though Scripture says the exact opposite. That everything, every good and gift comes, every good and, and wonderful gift comes down from the Father above. And we see ourselves as sort of owners rather than stewards. And can I just tell you real quick up front? The more you try to own your things, your time, your talent, your treasure, your wealth, your influence, all of these sort of things, the more it will own you. And it doesn't matter how much you have, little or small, 
when you live a life close-fistedly, eventually it will own you. Here's another thing, and this one's just a brutally honest one. We have a tendency towards selfishness. I do. I didn't think I was always a selfish person. But one of the things that I am, am, am oftentimes reminded of my selfishness is uh, when we get pizza for dinner. Now, a, a better person who cares more about their waist size and stuff like that. So I, I exercise for two reasons. I exercise for my mental clarity and to be able to eat what I want. It's, I just want to eat what I want and keep the clothes. But when we get pizza, I will be honest. I do not always see a fairness. I grew up with two older brothers who are much bigger than me. Um, and so I grew up in a house where like food is sort of a fight, okay? Like whoever can eat the fastest, get the most. I used to um, help my mom put away groceries and I would intentionally hide things from my brothers. Some say it's devious and, and selfish. I say smart and strategic. Were they gonna look for the ice cream under the bag of frozen peas? Not always. Would they find the Pringles if I stacked up some, you know, split pea soup cans? No. Now, when they inevitably took those split pea uh, soup cans to a soup kitchen, then they saw it. But I lived that way. But let's just be honest. Many of us, all of us, because of the broken, fallen world and nature we have, we have a propensity towards selfishness. We think about ourselves. When there's pizza in my house, I will be honest, although I should probably make sure other people, you know, get all they want there first, I'm going for that extra piece. And maybe afterwards I might blame the dog that he got it. Here's the last reason I think many of us have some barriers or some hang-ups with generosity. Uh, we live in a world with a scarcity mindset. We feel like there is um, only so much that can go around, which in, which in some ways there, there's some truth to that, right? But there's so much of our... our, our our, our, our hang-ups towards being a person who lives a life open-handedly and generously is thinking about, well, if I give up what I have, how do I know I'm going to be taken care of? And these are all legitimate questions, but they're all things that are just sort of excuses, right? And we've all kind of heard the uh, saying, right? The, it, I think it's an old Hebrew one, right? That um, excuses are like a certain body part. Um, we all have them and they all smell. I think you know where I'm going. It's, it's a, don't make me say it, okay? But it's true. We talk ourselves oftentimes out of doing what we know is good for us. We talk ourselves out of obedience towards Christ in many different areas, but especially generosity. And one of the reasons why I think it is so critical that we talk about it is because there is so much of it that has to do with quite literally our soul that there is so much of a place where it is oftentimes an incredible stronghold that the enemy feels like, yeah, they can, I'll, I'll, I'll let all of these other things be taken over, but if I can keep this, I've got this incredible piece of property, this real estate in their heart. This morning, as we're going to talk about generosity, I, I wanted to begin this morning by showing you guys a video from one of my favorite um, uh, ministries. They're a great thing. We've shown videos here from them before. They're a great tool for you to use on your own as well, um, but there's this group called The Bible Project, and they uh, make videos on um, the Bible and theology, and they oftentimes can take some pretty big ideas and condense them down into um, kind of more bite-sized things. So as, as we begin today and as we talk about what generosity is, what it isn't, uh, I want you guys to watch this video uh, as they explain a little bit about what this idea of biblical generosity is, and then we're going to talk more about what that means for us as a church. So check out this video. 
lie that there's not enough. Yeah, that lie needs to be defeated. And so that's what Jesus was doing when he gave us the gift of his life. Jesus' death was the ultimate expression of God's generous love. Yeah, God's love can turn death into life and scarcity back into abundance. Or as the Apostle Paul put it, you know the gift of our Lord Jesus the Messiah, that even though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And Jesus called his followers to live like the real party has begun. Yes, he called it the kingdom of God. And our invitation to this party is yet another gift, the personal presence of God's own spirit that can teach us how to trust the generosity of the host, just like Jesus did. Yeah, and when you believe there's enough, you start seeing opportunities for generosity everywhere with our time and money, our attention. Yes, one of the most important ways that we can experience the abundance of God's new creation is sharing with others because of our trust that God is the generous host. Sometimes I like visuals and uh, how they can kind of bring some things to life. If you haven't been with us the last few weeks, uh, we have been in this series called Values for a Vision, and we have been talking about these um, new sets of core values for us as a church. And we've talked about things like being uh, rooted in Jesus. We've talked about being persistent in our prayer. Uh, last week, we talked about this idea of being gracious in love. And this morning, we're talking about this idea of being radical in generosity. Radical in generosity um, is one of the most important things I think we as followers of Jesus can embody, not only because what it does for us as individuals and our souls, but also what it reflects to a world that oftentimes has no desire to know a thing about the church or Jesus. You know, I think one of the great authenticities of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a life lived open-handedly. We live in a world where oftentimes we are incredibly good at taking care of me and mine. And maybe, just maybe, if we feel pressure, we feel like there's benefit, maybe others. And so this morning, I want to talk about this idea of what it means to be radical in generosity. I want to talk about what, it will, what, uh, what Jesus had to say about our hearts and our treasure. And then I want to talk about just some... Um, some practical next steps we could consider uh, as people desiring to authentically live out the way of Jesus. Let's talk a little bit about this idea of what, what is generosity, because it, it's a word that we oftentimes may be um, confused and things like that. So here, here's a good um, definition. Generosity is living open-handedly with your time, talent, and treasure for the sake of the kingdom and the king. Generosity is more than just our money, but it's not, not our money as well. That every single one of us have been called to be stewards. This idea that, that we have been entrusted with certain things. We're managers of certain things. God has given us influence. He's given us time. He's given us gift and abilities. He's given us relationships. And yes, he has given us money and things like that. And as people who are changed by grace people who have been transformed by love, people who desire to be a Christ follower have to seek this lifestyle of being generous. Generosity is not uh, activities we engage in. It is a lifestyle in which we reflect who we are because of whose we are. 
Generosity is not this thing where we just have these certain like moments where like, I'm going to do this generous thing. No, the goal as a follower of Jesus is to live a lifestyle of generosity. Because again, as we've been talking the last few weeks, this idea of values are this idea of reflecting who our God is to others. We are trying to embody the things that Jesus embodied. And one of the things that he embodied in so many ways is this idea of being generous. Obviously, the most um, important big piece is just his generosity of giving his entire self to us, of paying the ultimate price for us. But also throughout his life and throughout his teaching, he continued to show us this need and desire to let go of things, to live open-handedly so the Father not only could bless us, but also actually be able to save us. If you have a Bible this morning, you can open up to um, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. That's primarily where we're going to hang out just for a few moments this morning. And this comes from uh, one of his teachings from this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, which is his most, it's the most famous sermon ever, ever. And uh, it, it, it compiles so much of his teaching on this idea of his kingdom and his way. And, and this is what Jesus says starting in verse 19. He says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now this is one of the most popular, famous teachings Jesus ever had. And yet I think it's also one of the ones that we most often read are like, got it, but do not do a lot with. We say like, I get it. Don't be Ebenezer Scrooge, right? I've watched the movies. I heard the sermon Pastor Aaron gave. But I think oftentimes we, we, we truly underestimate how much of ourselves, how much of our heart is where our treasure is. In, in, in treasure, I want us to think about not just money for a moment. I want us to really think again about this idea of our time, our talent, our treasure. I want us to think about uh, our influence. I want us to think about our, our schedule. I want us to think about the gifts that we have been given, the abilities, and how we use them. Because at its core, your priorities will always reflect the true status of your heart. You can say, I surrender, you can sing, I surrender all. You can say, I'm a follower of Jesus. But to be honest, if you want me to really be able to say what your heart looks like, let me look at your bank account. Let me look at your schedule. We look at your search engine. There's a lot of things where whether we believe it or not, sometimes we have been coursed into this idea that as long as I'm not living an actively bad life, that I'm living the good life. And the way of Jesus is not one of those where it's just this sort of like sin management. I'm trying not to be a jerk. I'm trying not to buy drugs. I'm trying not to do crooked business practices. But there is so much of, of who we are that is reflected in these things. There's so much about how we actually choose to, to steward our one and only life, the resources, the influence, the time, the relationships that God has given us that truly reflect our heart. And again, it is not about checking boxes. It's not about doing those sort of things. But when love has changed you, you do crazy things, right? If you were to look at my bank account when my wife Hunter and I first started dating, 
you would say that guy is an idiot. And the reason why is because what? Like most people who are in love, you spend money driving places, going to dinner, doing all those things. Now, of course, you're supposed to keep doing that, guys, by the way. But there was a real thing that if someone was to look at where I had driven, the places I had went, where I was giving my focus, it would be really easy for them to say, this guy is really smitten. You know, oftentimes I've heard people ask the question, you know, hey, if, if your life was put on the line in a court of law, could people actually prove that you're a follower of Jesus? There's a lot of us, if we're really honest, if people were to look at how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we use our gifts, how, how, how we deal with our, our, our relationships, a lot of us, if we're just being real honest, we're not feeling too great in a court of law, even if we have the greatest lawyer there is. Now, again, one of the beauties is just this. None of us are going to have an airtight case. It is why we need our great defense lawyer, Jesus, right? But there are so many of us that, 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 that have kind of like said, like, Jesus will take care of it, I'm good. And we've missed the opportunity to actually take steps towards reflecting this. Because as we talked about last week, this idea of gracious love, grace should change us. And grace always leads to a generous heart. I have never met a person who I believe has authentically experienced the grace of Jesus Christ and continues living a life of selfishness who doesn't end up becoming a generous person. Grace should lead to generosity. And so much of it is because grace should change our perspective to focusing about myself and what I earn and what I deserve to realizing that all of grace is a gift that has been given to me, that it's not about what I do, it's not about what I could earn, it's all about how Jesus has freely given it all over to me. And it makes us have this switch to say, well, if he did that for me and he calls me to do it for others, maybe I might actually should do it. So grace always should lead to a generous heart. But again, this is so incredibly important. Our heart, again, reflects so much of who we are. In Proverbs, it says this. Proverbs is a wisdom book in the Old Testament. It says this. Above all else, guard your hearts, for everything you do flows from it. This is why, again, our actions, our attitudes, what we allow to be um, consumed in our minds actually matters. The news we watch, the movies we watch, our entertainment, the people we spend time with actually impacts our heart and things flow out of it. It's why it is important to actually have boundaries and actually be um, conscious about what we are putting into our minds and our hearts. It's in the same way why it's important, right, to take care of what you're eating and, 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 and activities you're engaging with because, yes, Bad things eventually have bad consequences for our bodies, right? Like we understand the person who um, continues to, you know, do the supersized meal over and over and over again is probably going to have some heart issues and, and weight issues, right? And yet for many of us, we, we treat kind of our exterior, spiritual life, things like that, not being the same. We're like, well, I can watch this show. I can do this thing. I can choose to spend this money this way because it, it doesn't really have a consequential piece to my life. Yet again, we must guard our hearts because everything flows from it. And here's the difficult piece. Every decision we make is a heart decision. A heart in terms of the soul. Every decision we make in a lot of ways is, is a reflection of, of who we are and our values. 
Now, Jesus continues on this teaching in, in the Gospel of Matthew by saying this, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is dark, how great is the darkness? Now, essentially what he's trying to say here, uh, kind of in, in between these pieces, is this idea that, that in many ways, our eyes, you know, you've probably heard that saying and you've seen it before too, right? Like, you look where their eyes are because you can see, um, uh, you know, kind of, kind of what's, what's impacting them, where they're looking, their desires. You know, sometimes there's the saying, right? I could see it in their eyes. And this idea is that in many ways, our, li- our, our, our body, our heart is reflected out our eyes, it, again, is why, let me look at a search engine, let me look at a calendar, let me look at a bank account. I can see, quite literally, what's going on inside, and that's what Jesus is trying to say about the eyes. But he goes on this, and he says this, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, this is a famous teaching. Many of us, if you've been around church, have heard this before. And many times, I think it's easy to be like, well, 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 well. Money is just the one on, on, you know, on trial here. There's all sorts of things that can get put in there. And that's, that's not untrue. But what's interesting is, uh, you know, our Bible sometimes, uh, from the Greek and the Aramaic and the Hebrew, uh, original languages, sometimes the translation over isn't great. And so money is the word that most o- often gets used because it is kind of an easy, helpful thing for us to understand. The word that commonly for, for a long time that would be used is this word mammon. Now mammon, there's, there's kind of a, a, a debate over exactly all that it means, but essentially mammon is this personification of wealth and influence. It's this idea in some ways that uh, our status, our security, all of these sort of things, our wealth in this world in some ways becomes like another god for us. It's something that we are seeking for uh, security, for wholeness, for, for identity. And so when Jesus says you cannot serve both God and mammon, he is essentially trying to say, hey, listen, there is no way that you can trust in your wealth, in your influence, in your power, in your own kind of things you can do and God at the same time. Again, the song wasn't written yet, but, but again, we can't say, sing, I surrender all to Jesus, and then also be like, but also I really trust you and you, mammon. And you see, generosity, one of the beauties of it is generosity helps rid ourselves of this false insecurity that we put in mammon. Because so many of us, if we're honest, we, we, we kind of treat Jesus like, hey, I've heard about hell, doesn't sound good, I'm going to try to go for that, but I'm, I'm going I'm to take care of all the things myself. I'm not really going to trust in Jesus. I, I, I might say I do because I think that's what I'm supposed to say, but my life is not going to reflect it. I'm going to put all of my hope and my trust in my abilities and my giftings and my influence and my wealth and all of these sort of things. And the truth is there's many of us who may go through life never experiencing God actually being the Lord of our life or God actually being fully in control or actually getting to experience faith at work because we have said, listen, like it's not, it's not you, it's me. But at its core, it really is a reflection of how you see God. Many of us don't put our full trust in God and we end up serving mammon because it's easier. 
It's easier to see the things that we can produce rather than trust in God, who oftentimes is working in the background. Let's talk a little bit more about what generosity does and why it's important. Generosity, it invites us to put our treasure where our hearts should be. When we choose, this whole idea of where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we choose to live a life, a lifestyle of generosity, it gives us the opportunity to say, I'm not, I'm not letting things go to chance. I'm putting my money and my time and my gifts where my mouth is at. If I say I'm a follower of Jesus, I, 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 it is impossible to live in the kingdom of God ungenerously. Just is. So if you're like, hey, I want the saving grace, I don't want the generosity, sorry, it's part of the terms and the condition. And so much of it is because the terms and condition flow out of this actual heart change. Here's another thing that generosity does that's a beautiful thing. Generosity helps us to tangibly love God and love others. Again, this is not about um, needing to do things. This isn't a, a gospel of good works and things like that. But again, it is really difficult to say that love is transformed or love is powerful if there's no action involved, right? You know, when I got married, I, I, I said vows of love and commitment and honor and sacrifice to my wife, Hunter, and she said them to me, right? Now, those words are hollow without action and relational um, showing up, right? I can tell my wife that I love her all I want, but if I become a serial cheater who, who, who puts us in financial straits and all those sort of things, it doesn't really matter if I say, but I love you. There's not an actual heart commitment and change. And in the same way, when we are generous with our time, our talent, and our treasure, we are actually getting to put our, again, money, influence, all the giftings where, our, where we want our heart to be. And we get to do it in tangible ways. You know, one of the beautiful things about why it's important, I think, for the church to be a place of radical generosity is because the rest of the world isn't going to be. There's not a huge reward for it. I also think one of the beauties, again, is it's a beacon of light where people can say, hey, I don't like what you believe. I think you're crazy, but, man, I can't argue with the love and honor that you give to others. You know, again, I, I mentioned it last, last week, but one of the reasons why the church really has, has, has not only survived but thrived throughout difficult times in its history is because the church actually authentically lived out what Jesus taught and it was attractive, and it was different. Generosity matters. 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote these words about generosity. He says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, I love this teaching. I love this, this, these thoughts from Paul because I, I think sometimes we, we forget to focus on the latter part. So many of us, again, we begin to bring all our excuses to why we can't sow uh, generously. There's all sorts of good reasons. And yet we forget, again, that God is able to bless us abundantly for every good work that he has called us to. There has never been a time where God has called you to be generous with your time, your talent, and treasure where he did not have a plan to come through, to fill in a gap, to provide a need. There's never been a time where he's been like, 
ooh, I guess I asked them for too much that time. Oh, man. Like the God of all the universe has never done that. But I, one of the things I love about this is, is in the original Greek, you know, it says God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, probably a better translation in some ways is God loves a hilarious giver. There's this word that oftentimes gets translated to cheerful, but also is used oftentimes for hilarious. And the concept is just this. In many ways, Paul calls the church, the followers of Jesus, to give in a way that others would laugh at and say, that is crazy. Because it is, right? I mean, when I, when I read the gospel of Jesus Christ, when I read about his story, it is stupid what he did, right? I mean, who gives themselves up who, who gives up their, their seat in heaven in a perfect world to come to a place where people are, are not going to be totally grateful, are not going to get it right, and give up everything for them? In many ways, like, people can almost laugh at, like, well, that was stupid, man. You gave up everything you had. And the truth is, in many ways, yes, followers of Jesus are called to live in a way in which others would say, why would you do that? You know, there's, there's a reality where there is times where uh, when I look at my own life, where I look at things like student debt and things like that, and then I look at it like an end-of-the-year giving statement, I think, why did I do that? Because I could have put all of that into here. And there's so many times, right, where, where from a worldly perspective I could say, that was a bad business idea. This was, I don't understand this. And yet oftentimes I, I can quickly get away from that mindset and, and step back and say, was there any need that that I had that God didn't provide? Are there some, some things that I can see where people's lives were transformed in an incredible way? Yeah. Are there, are there places where I can see that I, I, I have probably more than what I need? 100%. Again, generosity helps us experience blessings so that we can be a radical blessing to others. But again, one of the things that generosity does is it helps us kill our desire to trust in mammon, to trust in ourselves, to trust in our wealth and our influence and all of these things, because it reminds us again and again who really owns these things. It's God's stuff, not my stuff. And yet I have been given the opportunity to steward it. So let's talk about a few practical steps as we're going um, to wrap things up. Because I think it's all, oftentimes it's, it's great to talk theory, but let's, let's get into maybe some, what could we actually do with this? And again, I, I bring all of these to you, not from a reflection of, of what I can gain, but because of I understand how important each of us it is to actually take these next steps to untangle ourselves from the web that Satan has oftentimes put us in so we can experience true freedom. So here are just a few practical steps, ideas of living a life of generosity. The first thing is this, budget to be able to be generous. I hear a lot of people who say stuff like, well, I could never give to the church. I could never do these things. I don't have the money. And oftentimes, I, 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 listen, I understand it. I, th there have been times where uh, there has been not a lot, you know, where, where, where dinner in some ways is just a hope and a prayer, right? And yet there's oftentimes, too, where many of us, if we're honest, our life is chaotic because we don't make plans. Budgeting, honestly, even though I am not a big fan, I'm not a big numbers person, uh, is a holy practice. You know, God's story of creation, right, is taking chaos and bringing order to the world. In the same way, most people, uh, they don't feel like they can be generous because, honestly, they haven't really actually 
taken, their budget, their life. And this goes with your life, too, with your, with your schedule, things like that. They have not allowed themselves to be the owner over those things. They've allowed it to own them. And the more we live in that sort of way, the more that you allow your schedule to control you or your um, money to control you, the, the more it will continue just to control you. And so you have to make plans. You have to make plans to actually be able to do these things. So that way, when God gives you opportunities, whether they're just consistent things like giving to the church or when there's a need that arises with a coworker, a family member, or a neighbor, you actually have the opportunity to do it because you've planned for it. And some might say like, well, that doesn't feel like it's a big faith thing. Why? Why is that not a faith thing? To make plans to be able to be a blessing to others. Again, None of us get to take from this world what we have. The richest person in the world leaves just like everyone else. They don't get to take the money with them. So we make plans to be this. Here's one thing, to consider a tithe or a regular gift towards church. Again, part of being a follower of Jesus is being connected to a church body. Jesus called the church his bride. And again, There's a big piece where if we want to love Jesus, we have to love his church. Now, some people might argue, which is, there's a lot of truth to, right? Jesus, Jesus, does he actually call us to tithe? He only talks about one time in scripture where he talks about tithing. And he's actually talking about some um, religious teachers who he's like, you guys are doing bad things. You're you're, you're giving your tithe, yet you're not loving um, your neighbors as yourself. And a lot of people have taken that and been like, see, we don't have to do it. He, He talked about those people. In reality, if we look at the text, what's interesting is Jesus says, uh, you have neglected the former uh, when you should have been doing the other. He doesn't say, don't, he doesn't say, like, stop giving to, to, to God's house. Uh, he just says, like, you can give and not be a jerk, too, which is pretty, pretty fair. But the idea of the tithe, I think many of us, it's become a legalistic, dogmatic thing. And I think, honestly, if we look at the New Testament, oftentimes Jesus probably calls his followers to do more than a tithe. In many ways, a tithe, which just literally means 10%, is more of like a benchmark. But but I I like to think about the idea that as followers of Jesus, we should just consider doing something with regularity, but something that actually we might feel a little bit. There's a lot of us who who, kind of do safe things, and it's almost like like, um, regular giving uh, becomes like working out where maybe we start with like, let me grab the five pounders here real quick. And like, okay, I got that going. And, and there becomes a time where uh, my, my, my six-year-old Gideon likes to go down to our little home gym in the basement. And he loves to feel pretty good sometimes even when he picks up the tens, right? He's feeling pretty, pretty swole. And that's great for him, right? But if, if when he's like a 20-year-old and he's using the five pounders, like unless there's a medical thing, right? We might be like, hey, buddy, like if you want to grow, you, you might want to and there's some of us where we're maybe we're in a season where God's calling us to say, hey, this was great that you started here, but I think it's time to start figuring out something else. Uh, and so maybe some of us, it, it's a reconsidering of, of what we're doing. Maybe God has changed our standard of living, in which is an invitation for us to change what our standard of giving is. And that goes for uh, our church family, but also maybe outside organizations. I think we also could um, consider this idea of, of finding a place to consistently serve in, in or outside the church. And we're going to talk more about service next week, but um, I really think it's interesting for us to think about um, what we could do with that. And then the last thing is this, to, to consider maybe a, something special. You know, there's been times in our lives where uh, my wife Hunter and I get this weird feeling where we're like, I just feel like I, we both kind of get this amount and like, I, I think we want to do this to bless either this ministry or this family or our church. 
Um, you know, there's some that I, I, I've, I've had some conversations with people as they've been getting older to consider about the idea of a legacy gift. You know, for some of us, especially maybe who are towards the back end of our life, maybe to consider this idea of uh, if we're willing to be generous in this life, what would it look like to be uh, generous even in uh, our, our passing from this life to the next and leaving something uh, that, that goes beyond uh, ourselves, beyond even just our family, which is a great thing to leave to, by the way, uh, but, but, but I, I, I don't know about you, I think it'd be cool to just anonymously leave this big gift that would go to this really great organization or a church or things like that, but maybe think about this. And then practical steps in community. Here's some things to real quick think about. And, and, and Cole's gonna come out, we're gonna, we're gonna sing one last song. It is to consider investing in relationship with someone or, or something in which they cannot repay you. You know, one of those ideas of generosity is this, is that it, it is giving without really expecting anything in return. You know, it, it is not generous to give to someone that you're, you're, you're assuming is going to just give back. In a lot of ways, the idea of generosity that we see in Jesus, right, is the fact that he gave all to us, even though there's nothing we could really do to repay him. We can give him our heart, which is great, but ultimately that, that doesn't actually repay all of it. It, it creates relationship. But, but the point is, Jesus doesn't have that desire. He's not like, hey, I need you to do exactly what I did. He just wants us to reflect it in some ways. And then another tangible way that we could do is just raise money and awareness for a cause or a ministry partner. You know, again, this is why it's important, and we'll talk more about service next week, but why it's important, why what, what Katie does, uh, Katie Rigsby does, helping us get out into the community and partnering with other ministries, like the Rescue Mission or Bridges or, or Children of Promise around the globe, is important because it, is, uh, it helps us live a consistent um, lifestyle of generosity. I'm, I'm going to tell you a story next week about my friend Floyd and, and about how um, his perspective changed and how he became an incredibly generous and servant-hearted person uh, because of an experience he had. Uh, but my, my hope and prayer is, as, as we're going to close things out, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask you guys to stand with me. As we're closing out, I, I want us to consider this idea that as we leave this place, um, that we don't we don't leave this place saying, okay, great, another, another sermon from a pastor who just wants us to give more to the church. But I, I hope you hear the fact, um, did you see a friend who, who says, I see how much money has, has had a hold on my life. I've seen how much mammon, my, my own time and all of those sort of things. Not Man, my life's still a work in progress with that sort of stuff. But I, but I will tell you from personal experience, the freedom there is in giving the freedom that there is in doing it in a hilarious way, in ways that don't make sense. Not only do they actually affect our here and now, not only do they actually make our treasure be where our, our heart be where our treasure is, but they also make an incredible impact on the community and on the kingdom. I, I oftentimes think about how we are in a place like this because of the generosity of people who have come before us. There are people whom you will never meet in this lifetime who sacrificed in great amounts of their time and their talent and their treasure so that someone like you someday could come and experience the love of Christ. There are people who have given so that way kids could have a place where they grow up and know about the love of Christ. They did this because they wanted to live open-handedly. They wanted the kingdom to advance. And the invitation is for all of us to do that. But in many ways, before any of us can do that, we have to live generously with our hearts. We have to just give up our heart to Jesus and allow him to transform it from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for the way that you love us, the way that you give to us, the way that we can trust in you 
Father, help us to um, help us to rid ourselves of the fears and the excuses and all of those sort of things, and allow us to experience the freedom uh, and the wholeness that comes from living open-handedly. May we receive all that you have for us, and may impact and lives be changed because of our choices to live a life of radical generosity. Father, speak to us in these next few moments. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.